had some serious conversations about could we raise money against this and make this a really big business? And the reason we decided to go after it was from the consumer response. So yes, we saw needs that the Diane von Furstenbergs of the world had in, in their, their world. But from a consumer perspective, the big unlock was when we tested this concept, when we bought dresses and we went to go rent them, consumers were emotionally changed when they put on a great dress. And so here we had this dilemma, this this fact, this fact. This I've fact. been almost a decade, decade researching decade, this subject. Every aspect of your metabolic health improves. From the Hint offices in San Francisco, I'm Kara Golden, founder and CEO of Hint. You may have tried Hint Water before, but this is my podcast. Each week, we talk to some of the most creative entrepreneurs from world touring pop stars like Jay Sean to the people behind favorite Instagram accounts, including So Yummy, New York City, and even YouTubers like Sarah Dietschy. So the million-dollar question, what does it really take to be unstoppable? Let's find out. Hi, everybody. It's Kara Golden from Unstoppable with Kara Golden this morning in New York. Very, very excited to introduce you to our next guest for those who don't know, Jenny Fleiss. Hello. Very, very excited to see her. Jenny is the co-founder and current board member of Rent the Runway. Jenny recently left the day-to-day responsibility at Rent the Runway and is now leading a very, very cool startup within Walmart's tech incubator called Jet Black. Yeah. Reshaping the way consumers shop through one-to-one experiences, super highly personalized. I'm really excited to hear her talk more about this. And again, going back to Rent the Runway, I remember when she was first starting it, and we'll get into some of those details. No, it's like 10 years ago now, I know. our 10-year anniversary. Crazy. 10 years. Yeah. It's Dog insane. years. It feels like 50 years. Yeah, it's <laughs> insane. So, uh, so Jenny is one of Inc. Magazine's 30 Under 30, Fortune Magazine's 40 Under 40, and Most Powerful Women Entrepreneurs, Fast Company's Most Influential Women in Technology, lots of... Good, good, good things that that she's done have been recognized. Very, very cool. So welcome, Jenny. Thank you. Thanks for having me. It's yeah. good to see you. Yeah, super great to see you too. So so I want to talk first about Rent the Runway. And when we first met, you had graduated from Harvard Business School, yep. actually with somebody that used to work at Hint, Alyssa, yep. a- ages ago. And we love Alyssa. So she's Classmate uh, of mine. She's yeah. great. Super, super cool. So tell me a little bit about Rent the Runway first and how that all came about. Sure. So I've always had this entrepreneurial spirit. I loved running lemonade stands and knew that at some point in life I was going to start something. And and even prior to Rent the Runway, I had like side hustles um, while I was working in finance. And at business school, I met my co-founder, Jen Hyman. And during our second year, we were having a lunch discussion. And she was telling me this funny story about her sister, Becky who was trying on a Marquesa dress that she had just purchased. It was a $2,000 dress. And Jen was saying, like, this is nuts. Like, you're going in credit card debt over this. You have so many dresses in your closet. Why did you buy this dress? And Becky said two things that were pretty funny, but also very telling about the culture that we were in at that moment and some major trends that were shaping how millennials were shopping. The first was that all the dresses in her closet were dead to her because she'd been photographed in them and they were posted on social media. So she couldn't possibly wear one of those dresses again. 
And social media, this was November 2008, social media was like on an upswing. It's gotten even more crazy since then. But it was doing two things. It was making everyone their own brand. So there was more eyeballs on you. Suddenly there were thousands of eyeballs every time you posted something on social media. Mm -hmm. And it was truly ruining the ability for you to wear something one day and wear it again the Mm -hmm. next day. So as a woman, you probably relate. It's like sometimes you wear an outfit and you're like, oh, like this is great. I paid money for it. I'm going to wear it again tomorrow with a different group of friends. Suddenly with social media, you can't really do that as much. The other thing Becky said was, you know, I'm going to a wedding and I might meet my future husband at this wedding. So this funny but true point that you have all these like high stakes occasions when you're a woman in your 20s, that it's really important that you put your best self out there. You look great. And ironically, I think as, as I've gotten older, as you get older, you have fewer and fewer events, but you, you know, you kind of reach this different level of income earning potential. But so there's this gap of, you know, you're post-grad, you have all these events, you want to look great, you care about social media, and how do you afford a wardrobe to make that happen. Um, and so the response that we had seen in the industry was fast fashion, H&M, Zara, Forever 21, ways to get kind of a knockoff stylish piece of fashion that you weren't breaking the bank on. And so we realized that between some of these trends on the consumer side and also the, the retail and designer industry, mm-hmm. there was an opportunity to create something different. And so we started talking about what became Rent the Runway um, and decided to test out the concept with consumers because that's in my entrepreneurial DNA and Jen's as well, it's like, that's what you do. You don't write a business plan for, for four months. You like get out there and just figure out what's what. So we wound up buying dresses and we bought them in our own sizes. We're like, if, if this doesn't work, we're going to have a great wardrobe. <laughs> always have a backup plan. Um, and So how far after business school was this? This was during business school. Oh, this was, like okay. This lunch conversation, within having this lunch conversation in the next like two weeks, we had met with Diane von Furstenberg and gotten all of her feedback. So like cold called, emailed her, driven to New York and met with her. We'd run this like test pop up where we were renting dresses to women, figuring out how to operationalize it, found a lawyer who was, you know, representing us on a contingency basis to introduce us to venture firms and help us set everything up. So yeah, it was a pretty like wild ride right from the get go. How often have you thought about learning a new language only to be stopped by that memory of yours from the last time you tried to learn a language when it didn't go so well? Okay, maybe it wasn't a language that you were interested in learning, or perhaps all those poorly written textbooks in your sixth grade class weren't that well written after all. I have a great tip for you. It's called Rosetta Stone. Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program around available on desktop or app, no matter where you choose to learn it or what platform you choose to learn on, Rosetta Stone works and it truly immerses you in the language you choose to learn quicker and easier than you ever imagined to. Maybe you're getting ready to travel abroad this summer and you want to learn a bit of Portuguese, let's say, before your trip. Rosetta Stone can help. I know this firsthand as I did just this before traveling to Portugal last year. I learned Portuguese through Rosetta Stone, and by doing so, I not only got a better grasp of the spoken language of Portugal, but it got me very excited for the trip itself before I went. They even have a true accent feature that gives you feedback on your pronunciation as you are learning too. They've got you covered. Rosetta Stone's trusted experts are the real deal. They've been helping people just like you for over 30 years, helping millions of people to learn Spanish, French, Italian, German, Korean, Chinese, Japanese, Dutch, Arabic, Polish, and my favorite, Portuguese. The lessons are five to 10 minutes long and include practical exercises 
so that you can pick up the language naturally, first with words, then phrases, then sentences. No English translations either, so you really learn to speak, listen, and think in the language you are focused on, helping you get the long-term retention you are looking for. And who wouldn't want that? Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, the Kara Golden Show listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com slash today. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com slash today today. In today's world, which I will admit can at times seem filled with too much of the wrong information, it's essential to find a good source that truly gets to the heart of what I want to know. I am super excited about our next sponsor as I've been a big fan of their content for some time now. That sponsor is The Washington Post. Their depth on topics from business to tech isn't just impressive, it's essential reading for me. Whether I'm catching up on the latest tech trends or understanding how the day's news truly impacts my family, The Washington Post is my trusted source. Let's talk specifics. Their business and tech coverage, absolutely top-notch. Just imagine having the most insightful articles at your fingertips, including the unparalleled AI reporting from Drew Harwell or the pulse on tech and online culture from Taylor Lorenz. And the best part? You can listen to articles just like you listen to this podcast, making it perfect for your busy lifestyle. I was just reading an article from one of my favorite Washington Post writers, Frances Stead Sellers. She covers entrepreneurs like myself, but also covers other interesting topics, including health, as well as some very interesting books. I also love getting their For You newsletter, which is their roundup of stories tailored just for my interests, right in my inbox every evening. The Washington Post app is super well done, I think. It makes it incredibly easy to stay up to date and follow my favorite journalists on the go. And if you ever thought that the Washington Post is just about politics, think again. They cover everything under the sun, from climate and culture to crosswords and cooking, providing a world of surprising stories and vital insights. Okay, enough of the love fest that I have for the Washington Post. Here's the deal. Being a listener of the Kara Golden Show has its benefits, and this one is too good to miss. Now is the time to sign up for the Washington Post. Go to WashingtonPost.com slash Kara Golden to subscribe for just 50 cents per week for your first year. That's 80% off their typical offer. So this is truly a steal. Once again, that's WashingtonPost.com backslash Kara Golden to subscribe for just 50 cents per week for your first year. That's amazing. And yeah. what was there was so you cold called Diane von Fusterberg. Like, what was her response to this? Well, I mean, so the first email, we weren't sure if it was her email, and we got a response like that day, and it said, Come to my office tomorrow at 5 p.m. Crazy. We're like, well, is this her? Like, we're like, you know, it was yeah. over email. Like, is this actually her? It was in hot pink bubble letter response. Um, but we drove to the city and we put on our DVF dresses. And sure enough, it was her. And she met with us for an hour and a half, which was very generous, and told us how she hated the concept. 
And so we listened to that. And I left pretty demoralized. Why did she, why did she hate yeah, it? Yeah, so why did she hate the concept? And that was, I think, the big aha there is, like, you learn so much from everyone you talk to. So if you mm-hmm. can ingest mm-hmm. it and then think about how to reframe your business or things that you might want to tweak and pivot. So what she was nervous about was cannibalizing her sales, totally. right? So would people continue to buy her clothing if there was an option to rent the items? And so what we we wound up being able to prove and what we, we talked to her about was, this is not your customer who's buying items at Saks, who's actually in their 40s and 50s. This is a consumer who's in their 20s and 30s, who otherwise you were losing to the Zaras of the world. And if instead you can introduce them to your product through experiential marketing, they're going to rent it, they're going to try it, they're going to fall in love with it, they're going to see how different it feels from a fast fashion knockoff item. And then later in their life, they will buy something from your brand. Yeah. Maybe it's a black blazer or a white t-shirt, right? But so that was one thing. We also said this is a great way to get more of your editorial styles out there. So the Neiman Marcuses, the Saks of the world, they're not buying the bold prints, these like statement pieces mm-hmm. that all these designers want to get out there, the actual runway items. Because it doesn't make sense for a woman to purchase those, right? Like you right. buy the black version, you buy the basic version. So this was also a great way for these designers to get some more of their exciting creative pieces out there. And then in turn onto social media and start more of a a discussion about their brands. So those were some of the unlocks that in hearing her response, we were able to learn and tweak and pivot our business model and how we engage with future designers. So you went back to school. And after having this meeting, you guys were, I mean, were you feeling energized or were you feeling crushed at that point? I was honestly feeling kind of crushed. Jen was kind of energized. Like, I think there's these moments, entrepreneurship is like highs and lows. And Mm -hmm. I, I think it's like, flying a plane at low altitude. It's like the highs are really high and the lows are really low and feel like you're going to crash. And it's great having a co-founder because there's different moments during that when you need to pick each other up. So I think Jen's attitude was very much like, we just learned all the things that are paining her and that are hard in her industry right now. Saks was slashing prices 70% at the time because it was a recession. So that was, she was like, how do I retain control of my brand? Like there were pain points that she felt. And so she was like, she just told us all these things and we can pivot and we can address them in a really smart way. So so that took work. You know, I think we came back to school, we regrouped, we thought about like, how do we position this? What did we need to tweak and change? And then we like had some serious conversations about could we raise money against this and make this a really big business? And the reason we decided to go after it was from the consumer response. So yes, we saw needs that the Diane von Furstenbergs of the world had in, in their, their world. But from a consumer perspective, the big unlock was when we tested this concept, when we bought dresses and we went to go rent them, consumers were emotionally changed when they put on a great dress. So when you see that transformative, like you put on a dress, you're strutting your stuff, you have extra confidence, you realize that there's something just magical about what this business can do for a consumer. And so from that, we kind of said, like, let's let's go after this. Let's make this something really big. So were you actually going after, like, the Harvard Business School audience initially? or were A you... little bit. We were going after anyone who was accessible to us. Yeah. So we were at Harvard Business School. Our first um, coffee meetings and surveys that we sent out were to our friends at Harvard Business School. When we did this pop-up with, with the dresses we had bought, we went across the river to Harvard undergrad, and we realized they were having all of these um, graduation events at the time. It was like... March or April. And so there was a need for them to have so lots smart. of dresses. Yeah. And we invited different groups of women. We had like the women in business group. We had like the A-list sorority group. And through that, we had this kind of mock customer segmentation also, which was kind of interesting. And we wanted to test and learn and observe. We wanted to be like, what styles did they want? What sizes? What designers? Did they care about the pricing? Um, Did they need styling help? Did they need to try items on and was fit an issue? So we were trying to like 
think about all these things through um, a minimum viable product test is what it, it's kind of technically called, though at the time we didn't think about it in that formal of a way. Um, and from that moment, we did more tests. We then went and did a test at Yale, which is where I went to undergrad. And that time we didn't let customers try the dresses on. Mm-hmm. So each time we were trying to learn more things. And then eventually we did a test where we emailed people like a PDF document and said, call this number to, to rent one of these dresses. So at each time getting like with a very scrappy, low cost ways of just getting a little bit more confidence in the business concept. That's, that's awesome. Very cool. And so from the time, so you leave, you graduate, and then you guys decide you were both headed back to New York. Yeah. Was that a decision that you made based on, you know, being around fashion? Or were you guys just ready to like, are you from New York? I'm from New York. I've okay. lived here my whole life. Um, so, and I was engaged. And so definitively coming back to New York anyways. Um, the big decision, you know, Jen and I both had other jobs lined up that we had worked really hard to get. And we were very excited about also. Mm-hmm. Um, and so for us, there was this agreement that we were going to raise money by the time that we graduated. Otherwise, we had these other jobs lined up and we were going to go do those jobs. Um, and part of that was realizing that Rent the Runway would require a lot of capital. It wasn't a business that you could just bootstrap because you needed to buy a lot of inventory to make it yeah. a real legitimate business. And you needed to build an advanced website to enable like a reservation capability. So knowing that, we said like, let's put ourselves on a timeline and a clock to raise this venture capital. Um, we wound up raising from Bain Capital Ventures, who was our seed investor, right around the time we graduated. And so from then on, it was kind of like no looking back and quit the other jobs we had teed up and went at it full steam. Did you, um, what was the first round that you did? Like how, how much did you guys raise? Initially? We raised 1.75 million. Um, and I think like most first rounds, they convinced us to take a little bit more than we thought we needed and wanted, mm-hmm. you know, for better or for worse. But there was a, a great investor there, Scott Friend, who I'm seeing later today, we still talk to him probably every week, if not more than that, and just became such a partner in the business. So I tell people when you're raising venture capital, like, yes, the firm is really important, but I think thinking about the partner, totally, um, super important as well. He came, he was an entrepreneur himself, so he really understood where we were coming from, exposed to the retail industry, and like literally feels like a, a co-founder in the business. That, that was the extent to which he was invested and involved with us. That's awesome. Yeah. Very, very cool. So you 10 years at Rent the Runway, mm-hmm. and then you decide that you're going to go off and do another startup. And so how did that come it's about? It's like kind of crazy of me. Um, so <laughs> about 18 months ago, I left Rent the Runway in my day to day. And I started a business called Jet Black. And Jet Black is the first business within an incubator that Walmart set up. And the incubator is called Store Number 8. It's meant to focus on key technical innovations that are going to change the retail landscape. So did they reach out to you? To They did. Yeah. Um, so Mark Laurie, who started Diapers.com mm-hmm. and then started Jet, which was sold to Walmart, he's now the CEO of Walmart.com. Mm-hmm. I've known him since the earliest days of Rent the Runway. I actually got to know him because I was trying to learn about logistics. I ran our warehouse for about four and a half years. I vertically integrated dry cleaning. We run the world's largest dry cleaner at Rent the Runway, to give you a sense. And I had no background in logistics, warehouse, fulfillment, supply chain. And at the time, Diapers was a a huge company who was very, very successful in the New York area. And I was like, who can I find and who can I learn from? So that's how I got connected to Mark, stayed in touch with him. And so he reached out and said, you know, I want you to I want you to start this business within this incubator. And um, it was really exciting to be able to get to work on it with him. I'm, he's my co-founder in this business because a lot of it is his vision that I'm making come to life. It was a really interesting setup to think about how do you drive innovation 
even faster than you would as a standalone entrepreneur being inside this broader ecosystem. So what can we leverage in terms of like the infrastructure of Walmart to go super fast and quickly? And then I think finally thinking about like the impact Mm -hmm. that you can really have. And and that's what matters to to entrepreneurs, right? Like you want to have impact. You want to do something meaningful. Being part of the largest retailer, it's like I can drive so much impact if I can create real innovations. Um, So the area of focus for Jet Black is conversational commerce, um, which is shopping over voice or text. And conversational commerce could even be like when you go into a store and you're having a discussion with a sales associate about Mm -hmm. the right sneakers to purchase or, you know, fleece to buy or whatever the case, and you're asking them questions and there's a back and forth discussion about it. So, and that sort of interaction has kind of gone away in in how people shop online right now. Mm -hmm. But if you think of some of the voice devices and some of the innovations that are happening with voice technology, natural language processing, those interactions will become possible again. So that was kind of the landscape of like, this is going to be a change, let's innovate. And so what we decided to launch is personal shopping over text message. You can text whatever you want, be it laundry detergent, a birthday gift, or a designer handbag. And we will serve up typically three options of the best options that we think match who you are as a person and the best of the best in in the market at that time. And then we will deliver it to you same or next day. We use bags, not boxes. Um, If it's a gift, we'll gift wrap it for you. We do free and easy returns. And the main goal for us is trying to save you time. I think, you know, time right now is the greatest luxury for consumers and everyone is looking for new ways to save time. And so shopping over text and eventually voice is a very efficient way to get things done. So it's all being sourced by Walmart. It can be sourced from anywhere, actually. Oh, interesting. So all things equal will source from Walmart or Jet. So your laundry detergent, your paper towels, a lot of great toy selections. And then there's the Walmart family of brands. So Bonobos, Hay Needle, Mod Cloth. Um, they just acquired Eloquy. There's so many great brands that they have as well. Um, but if someone wants a Gucci handbag, like we'll go buy the Gucci handbag. If someone wants a designer top or dress, we'll go buy the dress. Um, and so we're starting to partner with major retailers and brands so that we can source those products. But think of it as almost like a personal shopping layer yeah. where we're going and finding these items and making it really efficient for the consumer. So how is it different from like, a, I don't know, Instacart where, yeah. or, In or even ways, like Grubhub or something yeah. where they're going to deliver something? I mean, obviously those are more food focused, but. Um, well, sometimes I, I compare ourselves as, as Instacart for everything. Like, yeah. I think that's a decent comparable. Um, and so I think a few things. So one is it's over text message and voice. So you can do voice to text right now. Mm-hmm. And so that's a, that's one of the main things customers love, actually. As much as it sounds simple, the modality of being able to use text message, which feels very personal and fast. I don't even need to open an app. Yeah. I can just fire something off is, is very powerful. Um, what we actually do is we store all the pr- preferences that you have and the products you've bought in the past to enable click-free shopping. So that's another key difference. So if you were to say detergent, I know what detergent is. And it's great, your order's confirmed for Tide clean and free, and it'll be there later today. So just think of this like mind dumping behavior. The way people shop today is on this more rolling basis where you realize that you are out of something, you need something, and like usually you need it that day or the next day um, versus in the past people would make like these weekend shopping trips with lots of items all at once. And what what happens as a result, people can be really distracted by all the things that they, they need to get done and do. So to be able to just like mind dump onto text is one of the things customers love the most. Yeah. Um, I think another key difference idea. that people really like is this, this like universal catalog, this idea that you really can shop for such a wide range of products. It's another efficiency driver. I don't need to remember as many 
logins and passwords and sh- enter new shipping addresses to be able to order, you know, a gift for the holidays at the same time as I'm ordering paper towels is truly the most efficient. Um, to be able to store, you know, I always deliver gifts to my cousins in California and their addresses stored. So I can just say like, you know, send that Hanukkah gift to the, to the cousins is really powerful. And then the third thing that um, I think is differentiated that people really love is the ability for us to recommend products, but for us to also answer key questions about a product. So what we find is that sometimes customers, say you're buying a nightlight for your kid, you might have a a lot of questions. And if you were to go on a a website, you'd have to read reviews and Mm Q&As. It might take you a ton of time for a basic purchase. And instead, if you could just ask someone directly the question that you had, it's a much more efficient exchange to get the product that's the best fit for you. So is this nationwide or? or it's New York only right York. now. So okay. we just launched in June. I'm going on online after this. <laughs> so we just this. launched in yeah. June. It's invite Very only. Exciting. It's membership only. It's $50 oh. a month. Can I be invited? Yes, so. you can be invited. But for like when you're in New York, you can be invited. Okay. You know, over time, we'll definitely we'll definitely scale this out. But we're seeing so much demand in New York and also it's such a great so idea. much usage. So the average consumer, like we have 75% engagement every single week. The average consumer is asking for 10 items every single week. Super high conversion because it's this intent-based shopping. Like you come to us when you really need something. Yeah. Um, so it's very, it's efficient for the consumer not to be kind of cluttered with all these other like things on a website and overwhelmed with all these items on a website. We just like make it as simple as possible for you. I think it, my brain is racing right now. I mean, if you could get a hold of somebody's calendar, for example, to figure out, like, keep track of all my nephews and nieces and nephews' birthdays. Yeah. And, like, just figure out what they would want based on their age. And, and over just, time, we will do that. You know, like a, a fun use such case. Such a great. We're always learning from our consumers, too. Yeah. And so one fun use case is people will screenshot paperless post invites, text it to us. And immediately I know the theme, the age, the date of the event. So I can just be like, here's my recommendation. Like it'll be gift wrapped and delivered to you in time for the party. Right. Yeah. So just think of like the ways you can drive efficiency and time saving in life. And you're a mom of of four kids. I have three kids. And so some of this concept came from just my behaviors that I started to adopt to save time of getting to know a sales clerk and texting them when I needed, you know, a gift for a birthday party, asking if they could do the gift wrapping for me. So I think these like life hacks that you develop and that was the same thing with Rent the Runway, right? Like we were living in this this moment where Jen and I had a lot of events and we wanted dresses to wear. So I think you draw off of your own experiences and needs as an entrepreneur. That's awesome. One thing that I was I've been thinking a lot about is we've seen examples of I think I've seen examples mostly of female entrepreneurs that have done this, but maybe Mark's an an exception to this as well, where you've gone from being the head of a company, Mm -hmm. right, to, you know, zigzagging into, you know, like working, working inside of Walmart. Granted, you're running a startup inside of Walmart, but I... I think about Julie Rice, for mm-hmm. example, from SoulCycle. I mean, she's now the CMO of WeWork. Mm-hmm. And um, so I feel like there's this trend where it's not like Jenny needs to go and be the CEO again, right? She can go and do things because she's really passionate. She can go solve mm-hmm. problems great. What do you think? I mean, do you think that that's a new trend for people just in terms of, you know, it's no, I, I just feel like it's no longer. The um, there's no this is what needs to happen. You need to go and be the CEO of mm-hmm. like 10 companies in your career. Like yeah. so often I talk to founders, especially ones that yeah. are trying to have a family. Also, yeah. you know, trying to do something at the end of the day that like fills their soul and, and 
does something that's interesting. Well, that's interesting. more what I think it is. So I think yeah. careers these days are more of a jungle gym than a ladder, right? Yep. Like you're going from one place to the next to the next. Um, I think the next thing is you have more entrepreneurship and more entrepreneurs. And what drives entrepreneurs is typically a, a desire to make impact and to do something they're passionate about and they totally. love. And with that, like, I mean, to me, titles have never mattered. Like yep. I think to many people working in a startup, titles are, are secondary, right? Like it's not the main thing. So I think that that is the case, that it, it's less about the title. It's more about the content of the work you're doing and the impact that you can have. For me in this role, like I am CEO and co-founder. And so it was a very unique opportunity. The way it's set up was to start my own office. And so we have our own office in New York, separate from the world of, of Walmart, right? And so to be this like total startup, to hire my team from scratch, was a really unique model. So even though I'm within this ecosystem and there's additional learnings that come from that too, right? Like how do you like push and make change and drive impact within the broader Walmart organization, but yet getting to kind of do my startup thing somewhat, somewhat separated from that was a really appealing part of it as well. That's, that's awesome. How many people in the team now? We have almost 200. That's so great. So like a really good example of, I started 18 months ago. So the team was zero at that point. And just that pace of growth and scaling, we could never have done but for leveraging infrastructure on around HR and finance in particular, right? So obviously the fundraising is like done through Walmart. So versus being a startup and having to go through a whole fundraising process, which can easily take like six months and a ton of your, all of the founders time that was removed. Then a lot of the infrastructure pieces of how do you get benefits and healthcare, like all of that set up, how do you get your financial system set up? That was also a plug and play solution. So we were able to get going a lot faster from the get go. There is recruiting resources that we leverage. So I'm really fascinated by this model of intrapreneurship. Mm-hmm. And I very much believe in it. Like it's hard to pull off and to do. But if you can make it work, then one plus one equals three. Well, it's it, I think it's we're also seeing this trend where large companies are before they were trying to actually do what a rent the runway did. Mm-hmm. But instead, now we're seeing, you know, that they're. They're basically hiring in people who could potentially start these little companies. Yep. A lot of people don't even know that Jet Black is part of Walmart. I mean, I know people have said to me, don't you know Jenny Fleiss? And, yeah. and that company sounds so cool. And, you know, it really seems like it's kind of a standalone company. That is, um, that's the idea. Yeah. Yeah. I think there's all sorts of different models people are experimenting with, which is which is very exciting. Um, a lot of venture firms are incubating startups within yeah. venture firms as well based on trends and concepts and almost like hiring the founder to kind of put them into this business and concept that they've thought about. So I love this experimentation with different ways of innovating. Do you think it's, uh, I mean, outside of not having to go raise money in a traditional way and like the human resources and the benefits and all that, do you think, what do you think is like the key difference in having kind of a Walmart backing you versus the day-to-day of growing yeah. the runway. I, so, and I think about it a lot because it, it does feel different. So the edge that we've had in hiring talent and that we've leaned into is we don't have equity. So right now we don't have equity in Jet Black. Mm-hmm. And instead we pay market comp. So it's a very unique opportunity mm-hmm. for someone to come work in a startup, have like the startup feel and DNA and like fast pace and the impact you're driving and the innovative headset that you can put on. Um, but to not have the risk of a startup. Mm-hmm. Um, because typically your equity is the majority of your compensation at a startup and it could be worth zero. And so if you kind of risk adjust what that equity you think you would make in a startup is worth and you kind of 
back and into compensation on an annual basis, you can attract talent that might not be at a place in life where they could take that risk. Maybe they have a mortgage, they have kids, maybe they're just not as, as risk oriented. So we've gotten some great talent that I think, um, that's been a unique edge. That said, I think we need to constantly work at driving this risk taking culture Mm -hmm. and the training that it's okay to fail, Mm -hmm. right? Like there's still a lot of expectation of specific process and everything being T's crossed, I's dotted. You know, we're going through a performance management process now and just the level of expectation of everything being so clearly laid out feels very different from a startup. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, you think about like, well, what creates that expectation? And I do think that some of like, you're part of a Walmart, you're making market comp, you're getting like, you know, healthcare benefits, maternity leave policies, like all these things that are so well ironed out, you become very like subconsciously almost acclimatized towards that. Um, and so then I think it, it, you've got to make sure that you're having that risk taking behavior, okay to fail feeling in other ways to compensate for it. So what's next for jet black? So you're like, and we're growing. Yeah, Yeah, we're growing. So, um, let's see, there's, it's a very complex technical problem that we're solving. Mm -hmm. Um, interacting over text and voice means that you're leveraging a part bot and artificial intelligence, machine learning, and then a part human. And for us, we think that the best is actually a combination of the two. Um, And that's how you can have a non-frustrating experience that is also scalable and efficient. So for us, most of the work right now is actually on building the technology to support huge scale of this business. Mm -hmm. That's that's awesome. And what, what will be the next city? Well, I mean, you'll be happy. San Francisco, definitely, we, we talk about. But, um, you know, one thing that I think is is cool is we have a wait list right now. So you can sign up on jetblack.com. It's a, it's a large wait list. And some of them, many of them are from New York City because that is where we're live. But I like seeing where else there's interest and demand. Mm-hmm. So I might do it based off of where there's the most registrants on our wait list to launch our next city. Yeah, I think that's super, super smart. So just a couple more quick questions. So best advice you've ever gotten? Um, no doesn't mean no. It means not right now. It's like a mantra that Jen and I, we say to each other. My dad used to say, my dad had a different way of saying it. He said, Kara, to you, no means maybe, maybe means yes. Uh, (laughs) So so I, I mean, I think, you know, I give that advice to people a lot. I love it. I believe in it. Another piece of advice we give sometimes is not to write a business plan. Mm-hmm. So just in the example I gave you of when we started Rent the Runway, like you've got to get things out to the consumer. And see so how they respond. See what's what. Yeah, totally. I tell people that all the time in consumer products that, I mean, we had a business plan, but just getting it on the shelf. I mean, there were so many changes. Like, you know, we, we wanted to get it on the shelf and see how consumers reacted to it. And then once we got it on the shelf, I mean, we were changing the labels, tweaking them. We had really small runs, like... You know, you never really know until the consumers right. actually get their hands on it and purchase it with money. I mean, it's it's uh, it's definitely makes such a big difference. Yeah, so I think this like let the consumer lead the way becomes important, not just in the beginning, but it's something that throughout the life of Rent the Runway and now Jet Black, you need to like incorporate in the DNA of how you evolve the business. So Rent the Runway now is a subscription-based business primarily, mm-hmm. which is for every type of apparel. It's not just dresses. It's blazers. It's tops, skirts, scarves, coats, everything. And that really was driven largely by the consumer's demand for more products, different types of products, 
realizing that in the market, um, there was this appetite to rent on a just daily basis and that maybe it was your power meeting at work that merited a cool blazer, not just your black tie event. Yeah. What about men? On we always get this question and I, you know, men, so the emotional connection I mentioned that women have with fashion, I don't think exists in the same way with men. Mm-hmm. I think men can also get away with wearing the same suit or outfit mm-hmm. the entire week and no one would probably notice. So I don't think that the drive and the demand is quite as large. Um, of course, never say never. But I think we've also hit on a unique and community-oriented brand for women that, you know, embodies female empowerment and um, female entrepreneurship. The story of Jen and I founding the business and now having 75% of our our corporate team there is, is women uh, is really a powerful piece of the business and the brand that we've leaned into. And I think women are such decision makers. Totally. Um, I mean, I have two boys and a husband that are... They, they're relying on me to actually go figure out exactly what they're going to wear to an event. Completely. I mean, it's whether it's a bar mitzvah or, you know, a senior prom or a wedding or whatever totally. it is. So. Throughout e-commerce, I think the stat is it's over 80% of, of e-commerce purchase decisions are driven by women. And so when people ask me about, you know, creating a female culture, or hiring a lot of female employees... I often say, you know what, I, I hire the best people for the job. Mm-hmm. I think if you have an ability to relate to the consumer need and to have that vantage point, you're often like best positioned. So I think there's like a way that um, women can be a real asset given that women um, are driving so many purchase decisions. Yeah, I think that's huge. If you could try any other profession, last question, what mm-hmm. would it be? Any other profession? I mean, this was this would not just happen, but I think being a professional like ballerina oh. or a movie star. Were you a ballerina when I was really little? Yeah. I I had pipe dreams of being a ballerina. It kind of it kind of ended at some point. I try to live vicariously through my kids now and like push on them a little bit. <laughs> but I mean, those are like I think really sexy and glamorous. I also in another life or maybe future of this life would like to be Kelly Ripa, just yeah. like that sort of yeah you know talk show host. Um, a little funny, a little bit like day-to-day humor. Um, and I think that, you know, I, I, one reason I like her and I think a powerful piece of how I try to run my businesses is getting to connect your authentic self and authentic life totally with work. Um, yeah. and I think that's a, that's a really cool aspect of today's modern jobs is that enables that I can have my kids come into the office. The fact that I'm a mom and I have different needs is helping shape and drive how I evolve jet black. Like I think there's a lot less lines between work and personal life um, that can be challenging, but can also be really healthy and empowering. Yeah, totally. Great. Uh, what's your fl- favorite flavor of hint? Oh goodness. Well, right now I'm having <laughs> peach. I do really like peach. I also like blackberry. Awesome. And the kids, we just launched. I'm so kids. excited for the kids so, to try it. Yeah. We just so the launched kids have been the box drinking. They've been drinking hint water. I mean, they love it. Um, especially they love they call it bubble water. Mm-hmm. Now I start calling it bubble water too. Um, they love that. But the juice boxes will be huge. I know. Juice boxes are so unhealthy and there is something novel. Yeah. I think we're going to define juice box. boxes. Yes. And, and exactly. I mean, most, most parents don't really understand that what they're giving their kids is so much significantly worse than they can imagine. It's going to be huge. not what they would drink, yeah. right? And so why are they giving it to their kids, their family? So it's crazy. So anyway, we're super, super excited about it. So That's we'll give great. you some. Um, I'm so ex- I'm excited about it too. It's super smart for you guys. You need to invent a straw that doesn't enable it to all squirt all over the kid mm-hmm. and then you'll be true geniuses. Yeah. Right? Like that's the thing with the juice box. 
every time they have it, they like squeeze it and then it comes out all over them. Um, so that's like the next invention you guys. Can yeah, have. no, we've been looking at different packaging ideas. I mean, that's what I love about my job too. In fact, I saw one in, in Europe that I thought was really, really interesting that actually embedded a straw inside of the top of the, um, in, on top of the box. But the problem is, is it's not recyclable. Uh. And so it's, um, yeah. So basically when you add any type of plastic and then the paper mm. just disintegrates. Oh, I know. And so Gosh, especially in a straws. kid. I yeah. need to use like three of them to get through a drink. I'm like, that I just know. defeats the whole purpose. And then the recycling of, you know, this paper and the amount of trees that we have to cut down in order to, you know, actually create more paper straws. It's All right, like, well, don't get me what, started. But listen, <laughs> so. if they squirt the hint juice box on them, yeah. it's water. Mm-hmm. So unlike the sticky exactly. it's apple not sticky. juice, it doesn't stain. It's like, uh, yeah. you know, no, whatever. Super, it's fine. super exciting. So that so. works. Anyway, well, thank you so much, Jenny. Thank it you was, for having yeah, me. Yeah, it was great. It was super great. To keep up with all the amazing things Jenny is doing, you can follow her on Instagram at Jenny Carter Fleiss. If you like what you heard, please help spread the word and leave us a review. You can also follow along with me on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and LinkedIn at Kara Golden. Do you have a question for me or want to nominate an innovator to Spotlight? Please talk to me at Kara Golden on Twitter. Thanks so much for listening. Until next time, be unstoppable. Unstoppable.